0: Thank you
1: Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. How are you? I hope all is well and you're looking forward to hear what the Metaphorically Speaking team has in store for you today. Our metaphor this week is a real eye-opener. Because of this show, I learned so much about the history of reggae in the UK, and throughout the world. I was familiar with Trojan Records which was big in the UK but I didn't know that a white French musician with no real link to the Caribbean who sings in English with a Jamaican accent has made a name for himself. You have to keep listening to find out more and you'll also hear the different types of reggae you may or may not be familiar with but either way I'm sure it's going to bring back some wonderful memories. Today's guest, Taj Weeks, is huge on the Caribbean and international reggae scene, and he's known for his philanthropic adventures, especially when it comes to shoes. But his metaphor, reggae is a verb, really made me think about the definition of a verb. One of the reasons I love this program is I always learn something. And I feel really wonderful when listeners reach out to me and they say, you know what, that metaphor, I really learned a lot. So please keep on listening. We really, really value your feedback. A verb is, of course, a word used to describe action, and Taj and his wife Angela are the epitome of the word. You may have noticed that here at Metaphorically Speaking, we love a good old chinwag with a musician. First we had classical, then contemporary, and now reggae, and we truly love it all. But before we get into our very exciting guest, let's take a look at this week's phrase, Reggae is a verb. We're going to focus on reggae and how it spread across the world, its impact on people's life and on the artistic landscape. Indeed, for many people, reggae has become a way to express themselves freely. It became a major asset to highlight race and social issues, but also became a link between people regardless of their languages or ethnicities. And so, reggae became a new way to communicate, an essential means to speak, as important as verbs themselves. Reggae is a unique musical genre, originating in Jamaica in the late 1960s, inspired by other genres such as ska and rocksteady, themselves inspired by calypso, jazz, and R&B. Reggae takes roots in the black culture of the 19th and 20th centuries. Such as its musical parents, reggae is the shout and gift of the black community to the world. Bob Marley and the Wailers, but also Desmond Decker, Ken Booth and Millie Small were the first to transition from ska to reggae. song you just heard is called Do the Reggae by Toots and the Maytals. It is the first popular song to use the word reggae. When interviewed by Palm Pictures, Toots Hibbert, the frontman of the band, explained the origin of the name reggae.
2: And um, I was in Trinstone. I grew up in Trinstone. And um, one day, myself, Riley and Jerry was sitting down you know rehearsing and and um, I just say look at that, come on the, the other guy was next door talking to a girl and the girl was a nice girl but just for argument's sake we, all, we always say it's you know in a, in a, just a little vibe someone going on and you know to him, say, a very strange. So we just get up and say, well, "Let's do the reggae rally. Come, let's do the reggae here, man." And we just get up and you know, that's all the words. Just come. It's not really. I didn't know it was going to be like that. I saw it in the Guinness Book of Records. He was starting to call me, uh, you know, after that. So.
1: From what we can hear, reggae started as an adjective to describe someone with a scruffy appearance, but then evolved into the term we all know today. Inheriting from such a peculiar meaning, reggae has always had this maverick connotation, the young Caribbean ready to conquer the world. The growth of reggae also allowed the Rastafari movement to gain in popularity. Rastafarianism has been considered both as a religion and social movement, originating during the 1930s in Jamaica. Its flag, a lion on red, yellow and green stripes, represents the colors of Ethiopia, the African country who successfully resisted against the European invader and whose last emperor was regarded as the second coming of Jesus, or as a prophet. It also represents pan-Africanism, that is to say solidarity between African countries and the African diaspora across the world. The Rastafari movement therefore used reggae as a medium to send their message of African unity across the world, thanks to their most eminent singers, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and the Melodians. More than just a name or an adjective, Reggae is a verb. A verb because without it, a sentence lacks consistency. Without it, a link is missing. Without it, we're reduced to silence. We lose awareness, understanding, and solidarity. Without these qualities, we lose ourselves as humans. Now it's time for our guest. Inspired by a true passion for music, Taj Weeks creates tunes that not only get you moving, but also make you think. With his own children's charity, They Often Cry Outreach, his message is that of community, generosity, and peace. The last time we met was at a beach in his home island of the beautiful St Lucia. And I met him with his wife, Angela, and I was so surprised to know how much love he has, not just for music, but of course his family, for life, the words he chooses to use to describe life and music, and of course, his love for people. We were both in the US when we spoke and caught up. But first, let's listen to Crisis by Taj Weeks. Taj, you use a metaphor of your own, which is as unique as your music. And the metaphor that you've chosen is reggae is a verb. How does the saying impact your life?
3: Um, This is basically what I do. I play music, but there's action and there's movement to it. You know, when I was growing up, the Rastafarian community taught me about community so that I'm actually my brother's keeper. And that what little they had, they tried to engage and help So I kind of follow that same philosophy. So for me, reggae is not just music, it's a doing word. You know, you don't just talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And that's what I try to embody.
1: Well, when I told my team what your metaphor meant, they thought, you know, that's really a different way of looking at it. It's like staring at you in the face and people underestimate the power of the word reggae as a verb. They underestimate what it is. And so I said, I'm going to leave you to explain a little bit more about you in terms of your music Tajweeks and Adoa, Jata and Toko. How do they all relate?
3: The only relationship is me. I am intertwined in all of them. So um, we have the band Tajweeks and Adoa, which actually is no more, it's just me. Then we have the charity that I run and the record label. That finances everything. So yeah, it's 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 just one person that does different things. Um, when I am when I am doing charity work, an opportunity comes to play. When I'm playing, an opportunity comes to the charity work. So you know, it's just it's yeah, it's it's just me doing all of these things, and and um, they all happen to bleed into one.
1: And you have been recognized in many ways because of all the things that you've done. And most recently, you are now an ambassador for the island of your birth, St. Lucia. Can you tell us more about how that happened and, and why it happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't
3: know the answer to either of those. Um, somebody called me and said they were giving us this designation. And I mean, I mean, the thing is, it would be naive of me to say that I don't know why, but you know, you do the work, but you don't do the work for these things because when I started doing this, the designation of Goodwill Ambassador didn't exist, not in St. Lucia at least, you know, or uh, not that I knew of. And I guess, you know, the works kind of catch up with you and somebody feels the need to recognize you for what you do. And I mean, it's appreciated because it allows us to do a little more so I can actually, you know, write to the people that I couldn't have written to before, asking for help to do the things that we do. So, yeah, man, we appreciate that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and give us some more specifics on TOCO. What is it about?
3: TOCO is, is is a not-for-profit to help underprivileged and at-risk children in the Caribbean through sports and health enrichment programs and these kinds of things. So we started off by accident doing our first initiative in St. Lucia because we brought down some soccer balls with us. And I heard about diabetes, how horrible it was. So... We came back and we brought down diabetes testers to help people with diabetes. And then we decided to formalize everything, you know. So since then, we've done annual holiday parties where we bring on bikes for kids. We try to always make the gifts that we be give things that will prevent the kids from living a sedentary lifestyle. So something to help you move, a bike, a skateboard, you know. So we've done holiday parties, uh, I think a couple of years ago we brought down some 513 bikes to give away so people would get some movement in their life. Because I think according to the statistics, we are probably one of the highest rates of diabetes per capita in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. So we've adopted a, a North American and European lifestyle that we cannot sustain because no longer do we move as we used to, you know, and we've have all this imported food coming in. But yeah, TOCO is, is kind of set up to do these kinds of things. We give um scholarships to kids to go to school in America, but we do a dental program. we do a spare neuter program because we have just way too many stray dogs on Ireland. Last week, we sent down ten thousand pounds of food to help the people you know who are struggling during this whole pandemic thing so yeah we've been we've been doing things we send down i think some two hundred tablets to help with online learning and Last year, we had a charity where we raised some money, and what we were able to do was partner with the government to send 94 children back home who were caught in North America and couldn't make it because campuses were closed. You know, and the rest of the dollars we sent to help children pay their rent or, you know, get a pay their phone bill because for some of them that was their lifeline. But I I don't remember all the things we do, and I hope I didn't drag on too long, but that's that's no.
1: I was amazed because I, I know that you uh, do a lot of um, outreach work, but I'm amazed that you, you've got so much done now. You say we. Who's we? We is
3: um, Angela, my wife um, of 30-something years. Congratulations. Al- Thank you. Valerie Albert in St. Lucia, Eustace Chinese Vitalis, Barbara Jacobs, Dr. Terry Victor, and Joanne Lima. These people and are- lots of other people who help us pull off what we try to do.
1: Oh, that's, uh, I think it's wonderful. But um, Taj, we all know that you are very much a family man. How do you keep the rhythm of a happy life balanced when you're travelling, performing and helping others? Because I think I truly love somebody.
3: You know? I truly love uh, another individual whom, when I'm away from, I want to be with and who, when I'm with, I never have enough of. You know, so, so even when I was traveling and she was traveling as well, because for the longest while she did some um, designing for Victoria's Secret, as a matter of fact, not boasting, but her line, Body by Victoria, is the most successful line in history of Victoria's Secret. And she was responsible for that. So props to her. So she was doing her instead of traveling and so was I. And, you know, as soon as the show was done, all I wanted to do was call her wherever she was to talk. Um, But now we've kind of remedied all that. So we travel together. We travel together all the time, everywhere. Um, You know, that Beatles song, here, there, and everywhere. So that kind of really works out because, you know, and I'd rather be with Angelo on any given day than anybody
1: else. So it works, yeah. That's a wonderful thing to say after 30 years. That's amazing. And, of course, your sons are very proud of them. I see that.
3: Yeah, we have three boys, Jade, the oldest, Tanner, the middle one, and and Jonah, the last. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're good children. Um, that's And that's one of the reasons why I was protesting every day uh, when the protest was happening, because I couldn't let people do for me what I needed to do for myself. I mean, I have three black sons, so I had to stand up, you know, stand up for their right.
1: So yeah, man. So, what's your new album, Pause, about? It's your first without your band. Why? You said that they've gone, but where are they? What happened? And what is the inspiration of your album, Pause?
3: I've been with the band for forever. I've written six albums with them. We started in, in, in the late 90s. First album was in 2005, last album was 2018. But then COVID happened. COVID happened and it made me reevaluate lots of things. Um, family life, people I love, where I wanted to spend my energy, how much arguing I wanted to do with a band or not, you know. And um, it kind of, it was something that I was been lingering, you know, on the periphery of my mind for a minute, but whether I wanted to do this on my own or whether I wanted to continue with the band. And since I was home during the pandemic, because what I do is write songs, I wrote 30 songs. And I started working with it and started sending it out to people and music started happening. And I realized, well, you know what, I can do this on my own. Because, you know, the thing is, there's always this this trepidation, this worry when you've been with something for so long um, about leaving it. And at times you question your own talent. Um, But um, I don't have to question it anymore. So that's kind of what happened with the band. Uh, being on the road with seven grown men is stressful, you know, because you're all on the road and you're all growing at the same time. Maybe you're not all growing at the same pace, but we're all growing nonetheless. And sometimes the initial vision kind of blurs. And what was one vision sometimes becomes two. And you know what happens when you have two visions? Because we cannot truly really multitask. We like tend to believe we can, but we can't. Um one thing always gets precedence over the other. So that's kind of what happened with the band. You know, there were no hard feelings. Maybe they are now, but not on my end. And pause, what is what is this about? How did you come up with the title? Pause is the album I wrote in the most important year of my life, mm-hmm. the most significant, I should say. Because it's the year the music stopped. And I took a pause. And I wrote these songs, and that's what pause is about. It's me making music with people that I never saw. And everything was done over Zoom. You know, the only person I saw in person was the backup singer. Other than that, I didn't see anybody else. You know, so... um, and and we were able to reach out to musicians we long wanted to work with who lived in different parts of the world in you know, different time zones. And I think we made beautiful music.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, I had a, a listen and I have to say it was not what I was expecting. I can't tell you what I was expecting, but it was so it was so different. It was refreshing. It was it was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can I can agree
3: with you and I can do that because um and one of the main motivations for that too was not only that I was by myself in isolation with lots of thoughts, but it was also that I have, we as a band have never had a bad review. Um, we've always had incredible reviews. And I was worried that people would say, you left this for this shit, you know? So there was a pressure of doing something that was better and something that was different than what I had mm-hmm. already done you know, but mm-hmm. I have to tell you, the brother who I worked with, Ziggy Coltrane, is a miracle worker. He gave the equivalent weight to the words mm-hmm. and the ideas that he brought forth and the directions he wanted to go in. So, yeah, man, it, it, it was a collective effort, and um, I have to thank brothers like Jonathan Frisk, who is uh, the lead guitar player for Sting and John Mayer and and Billy Joel and his brothers who plays on the album. Tickler who plays keyboards. Um, Horseman, the drummer from the UK, who is incredible. Mark Dan, um, Kwame Ishumu. Yeah, man, Daddy Lion, Chandel. Yeah, I I think I covered the core of the musicians and everybody else kind of floated in and out, yeah.
1: Well, touch. Thank you so much uh, for spending this time with us. And I'm very surprised that you actually would question your talent for a second. I think you're the only person who would do that. (laughs) And thank you for everything that you're doing for others. And of course, for the children of St. Lucia. Thank you very much. All the best.
3: Thank you so much. Uh, And like we always say, uh, let your vibes be high and let your message be forever mighty. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And listeners, you can get in touch with Taj by looking on his website, tajweeks.com. And there you'll be able to see everything that he's been going through, everything that he's doing. And of course, his new album. Thanks, Taj.
3: Thank you. Talk soon.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Taj, for sharing with us. It was an honor to interview an artist with such talent and who is so active in the wider community. Now, before we end the show, let's get back to reggae's influence around the globe. Indeed, it was just a matter of time before reggae spread across the world. In 1968, the Beatles were already inspired by reggae's rhythm and melody in their song Obladi Oblada, here, reggae had a huge impact on Western music, especially in the UK, the home of several Caribbean communities. In the late 60s, before the Rastafari movement grew in popularity, the first European population to listen to reggae were the British skinheads. At the time, unlike now, the skinhead movement was mostly apolitical or leftist, which allowed for people of all races and lower social classes to unite and create a unique music genre crossed between rock and reggae, between England and the Caribbean. One of the most famous examples is the cover of These Boots Are Made For Walking by Simarip. British reggae also led to the creation of Trojan Records, one of the most important reggae labels to this date, which successfully introduced the genre to the global audience in the 1970s, thanks to its well-known artists such as Toots and the Maytals, Jimmy Cliff, and many others. Soon after, reggae expanded to many countries across continental Europe, such as Germany, Italy, and France. Dr. Alban won the hearts of Sweden with his cross between Eurodance and reggae. Iceburn with their mix of hardcore punk and reggae made waves in Serbia. The band Israel brought reggae to Poland. It seems as if every European country had an explosion of this genre into the mainstream, fusing their own tastes and styles to make a unique sound. One of the currently most famous European artists is called Naaman. Borrowing his nickname from the biblical character. This is a direct reference to the Rastafari movement, which is based on a specific interpretation of the Bible. Now, let's listen to one of Nyman's songs called Outer Road. Naiman is a white French musician with no real link to the Caribbean. He sings in English with a Jamaican accent and even dabbles in patois. With a passion for reggae having encompassed a largely white Europe, a lot of us might start to wonder if the genre is simply being enjoyed or appropriated. We can see just how much reggae influenced the world. It has helped make Jamaican and Caribbean culture become very well known and celebrated on every continent. As we have heard, reggae is a way to bring people together from the Caribbean to Europe by way of Africa. Reggae conveys a message of love and fraternity. Born as an adjective, it is now the verb that unites us all, as in, let's get together and feel all right. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach me at colorful forward slash presenters, forward slash Delia, and at delia at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. Until then, goodbye.
0: Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colorful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Paul Ferretti, script supervisor Sabina Lautropria-Garcia, production assistant and social media graphics by Odua Osemwainke. The final program was edited by Sean Price and social media videos by Ernie Deneve.